Acts chapter 3 is where we are, working our way through the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts is kind of the order going through the New Testament there. Uh, Last week, in tune with the old children's song, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he went walking and leaping and praising God. And then you just repeat that three times. So, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I was going to sing it, but I got nervous. Um, <laughs> not an acapella guy. No. Uh, and so, man, really wonderful um, story of a healing there. Uh, there at the beautiful gate on the eastern side of the temple. No doubt Jesus passed this guy many times during his ministry. And yet this was the day that God wanted to heal him, make him new. And it's going to turn out to be a great chance to testify of the gospel. Um, Peter is going to get another chance to share like he did on the day of Pentecost. And uh, just like how it was um, a guy named J. Howard Marshall said that uh, Peter was too keen an evangelist to just let a valuable opportunity slip by. Having already begun to convict his hearers of their share in putting Jesus to death, he's going to go on to argue that they had acted ignorantly. In reality, God was accomplishing his plan for the Messiah, and so it was now possible for the Jews to repent and look forward to the blessings associated with the return of Jesus. So Peter is going to share the gospel. And then like Howard Marshall just said, uh, he's a keen evangelist and he sees that he can push it even farther and, and really even bring the gospel even more. And it's going to be a good example for us and all of our uh, sharing. But um, let's look in Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 11. It says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So uh, this man is no longer lame. He's been healed. I love the story that you guys got to read last week, how, you know, he was begging and he looked up to Peter and John, hoping to receive some money from them. And instead, Peter says, you know, what we have to give you today, it's not silver and gold. We want you to have a healing. And so uh, it says that immediately his ankle bones began to receive strength. And just, boing, he was able to hop up and walk and leap and praise God. And somehow in the midst of all of this excitement, now we find him back with Peter and John and he's holding on to them. So no one really knows why. Maybe he's like, whoa, I haven't done this in a while, you know, and he's kind of, after he just leapt around, right? Um, or maybe, um, maybe he was like a Calvary Chapel guy, you know, and uh, just like to hug dudes, you know, and he's like, woohoo, this is awesome. Whoa, man, I love it. Woo! <laughs> you know? Oh my God. I like to think of it that way. But, you know, I'm reading a couple different things. It was, you know, maybe he's still a little like, oh man, am I sure about this? You know? Or maybe it's, you know, these are my bros. You guys did. This is awesome. Okay. Um, they're at a place on that. Whew, that's a workout just walking around up here. <laughs> um, they're on the east side of the temple in a place called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's portico. Uh, It was a cloister or a portico formed by a double row of marble columns and roofed with cedar, which ran all the way along the eastern wall of the outer court. Sometimes Jesus walked and taught there. So it's kind of famously known as Solomon's porch. And uh, I always loved this story that's going to go into Acts chapter 4, an awesome opportunity to share the gospel And uh, this is actually what we would end up calling our high school ministry in Corvallis when I was a youth pastor. We called it Solomon's Porch, you know, and the idea was that we would 
be raising up a generation that would be boldly evangelizing the gospel. And uh, it kind of comes from this section here. So they're at Solomon's porch. Uh, the formerly lame man holds on to Peter and John. All sorts of people ran together them on the porch. And I'm guessing most of the early church that was there in Jerusalem had come to them. At about this time, there's about 3,120 Christians in Jerusalem. And so there's about 3,120 people that ran here. And then probably a lot of the Jews that had witnessed this. What you looking for, bud? My coat. Uh, oh, it's that fancy colorful one, like Joseph's amazing Technicolor dream coat. Where is Lonnie? Ugh. Tell him, strike one. Oh, there it is over there, Gus. Over by the water trough. Okay, there you go. Um, and so, that's setting up where we're at, right? Miracles happen. Lame man's a-walking. There's been leaping, praising God, dancing. Walking, leaping, praising God. Um, everyone's running to see this miracle that's happened. It's on this cool porch. Who doesn't love a good porch? Am I right? Uh, it's outside at this porch, a great gathering area in Acts chapter three, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. So this is just cool. He sees that there's a ton of people gathering around to see this miracle and he uses it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So something we can learn from that, like, like the little mermaid, he wants to be where the people are, right? And he's gonna, it's a good song. Uh, I want to be where the people are. So did Peter, okay? And so he's there, he sees all the people, and he says to them, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made uh, this man walk? So, I mean, this is a real temptation for any man... And, and so, man, you kind of start watching guys begin to get some sort of a, a following. And it's really easy for any human person to seize this as an opportunity to just become the next big deal, right? Especially in our day of Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, all that good stuff, you know. I just There's this miracle that just took place. Everyone's coming. This is my chance to kind of, you know, just kind of be... A, I'm kind of a big deal. I mean, I just healed the dude. I don't know what you, you know. And, and Peter is very quick to stay humble and to point people's attention to where the glory is really due. And, it, you know, I've seen Marcus Rope, no doubt. When people see that, they're like, who is this guy? And Marcus, that's when you get to, like, that's when you get to do the, you know, like old uh, Corey Solomon. You know, just start beating your chest, dude, and pointing up. Uh, we're to be like mirrors, guys, that reflect the glory of God up to himself. We've been created in the image of God. And what that means is that we are, everything that we do that's good, it's, it's a glorifying thing to God. And so we, when the praise comes to us, you've heard the old, I'm the rubber, you're the glue, whatever you say bounces off of me. And sticks. Well, this is the good version, okay? I'm a mirror that's reflective in everything you say that's just towards me. I want to reflect it back in praise to the glory of God. Billy Graham, for all of his fame, for all of the great presidents that he got to meet with and kings and movie stars and all of that, you know, he led Steve McQueen to the Lord, I heard recently, that in the final years of Steve McQueen's life, he preached the gospel to him and gave him a Bible. Steve McQueen, you know, bullet, you know, uh, the great escape. He became a Christian in the final years of his life. And Billy Graham, for all of his fame, would always say, don't ever, in your ministry, don't ever touch the women, don't ever touch the money, and don't ever touch the glory. Or as I alliterated it, don't ever touch the gals, uh, don't ever touch the gold, and don't ever touch the glory. Um, That'll, that'll ruin a ministry faster than anything. And so Peter here, he's like, I don't want to touch the glory that could be here. This guy is marvelously healed. Everyone has seen it. And I want to give glory and praise and credit to where it's due. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. And one day he was preaching at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which is still a building there today in England. And there's this stairway that goes up to the pulpit, you know, and so you walk up, there's like doors and stuff, you're like, you know, and then you go up and there's this giant, and he would just preach to this great crowd. And one day a woman came up to him after the sermon, as he was descending that huge staircase, and she said, that was a great sermon, I loved it, and had to be the first one to congratulate you. And he said... I'm sorry, ma'am, you're too late. The devil already did, <laughs> you know, and because the devil, you know, he wants to puff you up. Yes, that was amazing. I did do a great job, you know. Um, now, I don't mind a good compliment. It's just encouraging and it keeps you going. No, I'm joking. Um, but uh, as we move on in the story, so, so Peter makes sure. Why are you guys looking at me? It's not that we're just some um, like, oh, you must be a very religious individual that Oh, yes, God listens to your prayers. Well, yes, I am, actually. I am very religious. And, uh, and no, he just, don't look at us as if it's from us, okay? Acts 3.13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So this is a really exciting moment because Peter, you'll remember, it wasn't four months ago that Peter was denying Jesus on the eve of Jesus' death, like three times with cussing. I do not know this guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen him before. I don't know Jesus. And the rooster's crowing. And John's gospel says Peter and Jesus made eye contact. And it was like, oh, heart sink. I betrayed Jesus. How could I ever be useful for him again? But when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee, like I said. And so the, uh, the women went and got Peter and said, remember, Jesus said to, when he rose from the dead, go meet him in Galilee. And it was there in Galilee that uh, Jesus gives Peter great encouragement and places a ministry on him. Remember, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, I know. You know I love you. Yeah, he says, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? I already answered it twice. I know I denied you three times. Well, now you get to say you love me three times. Yes, I love you, Lord. Okay, feed my sheep. Okay, and so then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, as we've read about. Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus. He's been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and now he's bold and brave and courageous. And for the second time in three chapters, he's standing up in the midst of thousands of people, and he's using it as an opportunity to, to share the gospel. Now, does anybody here resonate a little bit with the, I don't know that man, Jesus? Like, just a little bit of like, you're in a circle of friends and they're like, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? Why don't you tell us about what you believe? <laughs> you know, I, I, I got, not, I don't know, God created the world or something like that. You know, um, I, I do. I know what it's like. I'm, I get terrified. But I also know the power of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to tell people about him. And I've found God is so faithful when you just... Uh, Jesus loves you, and you know. And then next thing you know, it's like all you gotta do is just open your mouth up, and he just starts speaking it. And you can just kind of rest, kind of rest and lean into what he's doing as he's speaking, and he starts telling people about his salvation. And so here's Peter; he stands up, men of Israel, you know, and he just goes for it, and he's brave. These guys just killed Jesus, and now he's like bringing, he's bringing the the hammer. Like, you guys, he doesn't beat around the bush. You delivered him up and denied him in the presence of the governor, Pilate. Pilate wanted to let him go. But you guys, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In verse 14, you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's, he's filled 
with as much boldness and bluntness as he was in chapter two. Pilate was going to let Jesus go. He was, he recognized that Jesus was holy and he is. There's some titles here that are like clustered together of who Jesus is. He's the holy one. It's a reference that takes them back to the prophets, the prophet Isaiah. Um, Peter would call Jesus the holy one when he says, um, uh, he says, uh, are you going to deny me as well? We studied it today in um, Prineville, the Prineville church. All the disciples leave. Peter, are you going to leave as well? Oh Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we've come to know that you're the Holy One of Israel, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, and so you, you deny Jesus, even though he's the Holy One. Um, what are some other titles here for him in verse 14? He's just, okay, he's, so he's innocent and he's righteous. And instead you ask for the murder Barabbas. Barabbas means son of the father. Uh, so they exchange the son of the father, Jesus, for a counterfeit son of the father, a murderer. And, uh, and you let the murderer go. And so, uh, so far, Peter calls Jesus the servant of God. Um, he's the holy one, he's the just, and then verse 15, another title for him, and you killed the prince of life. Isn't that a great name for Jesus? He's the holy one, that's good. The just one, that's good. The servant, that's good. And the prince of life. Uh, the prince of life, though, wasn't able to be held by death, because he's the prince of life. Couldn't stay dead. Okay, he was raised from the dead. Uh, you killed the author of life is what it could be translated, which is actually a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? You're an oxymoron, right? Hey, now easy with the name calling. Oxymoron means two things that are the same that couldn't be more different, you know? Uh, killing the author of life, killing him, but he's the author of life, in which the pioneer, he's the pioneer, or he's the giver of life, um, the Greek language here speaks that he's the source of life, the originator of life. Uh, so how could you keep him dead? How could you kill him? Notice here also, salvation is life. Um, one man, Walter Wink, wrote, Killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on its head. You know, that just spreads the seeds, right? Or... Uh, we're going to see in a few chapters when they try to persecute Christians, it's like kicking a bonfire to try to put it out. That only spreads the bonfire, okay? Um, they, they were not able to stomp out Jesus. Verse 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man, this lame man. So now he's kind of pointing to this guy again. In his name, Jesus, the servant, the holy one, the just, the source of life in his name through faith in his name he has made this man strong who you see and know yes and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all uh, and so uh, man you see this lame man you've known this lame man and it was jesus that healed him it was jesus that made his ankles sound and gave his legs strength and uh, and made him strong, gave him perfect soundness. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now, there's some compassion in Peter here. I mean, he's talking to the guys that just a few months ago were standing in front of Pontius Pilate saying, crucify him, crucify him, give us the murderer in exchange for this guy. And Peter is compassionate here and kind of gives them the benefit of the doubt that they did it in ignorance, that they didn't really know what they were doing. You couldn't have known that you were killing and crucifying the Messiah. Um, you, uh, you did it in ignorance, just as Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Uh, they know not what they do. Um, 
couple guys here, John Stott said, Peter was echoing the Old Testament distinction between sins of ignorance and sins of presumption. And he just kind of says, you know, you guys, when you were doing this, um, you were doing it in, as a sin of ignorance at the time. Uh, it sprang from ignorance, Marshall says again. Therefore, it's implied it could be forgiven. The unspoken thought is that if the Jews now fail to admit their sin committed in ignorance and repent of it, it will become a witting sin, which is much more culpable. And then J. Howard Marshall says the Mosaic law made no explicit provisions for atoning for such sins. And so now as he's preaching the gospel, he's saying, okay, right now you have this chance to repent of your sin saying, what did we do? We killed the Messiah and man, have godly sorrow in their hearts for that repent and turn to the Messiah for forgiveness, or they can kick up the heat of their hatred for Jesus even more and realize, oh no, we know what we did. And we're glad we did it, you know? And then it's like, oh, you're dark. You're real dark, you know? Like, um, man, you really need forgiveness. You really need uh, salvation. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 2, 8. Willem, will you read this one? So as um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's explaining it, they didn't comprehend what they were doing when they were crucifying Jesus. Um, if they would have known, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of God. Uh, later on in Acts, I would like to tell you it will be in roughly 14 weeks, but let's be honest, we're looking at 32. Uh, in Acts 17, 30, Alan, you want to read this section? It's 30 and 31, Acts 17, 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so just as in Peter's day and just as in Paul's day, people had sinned in ignorance, now there's no excuse. Now the gospel is going out into the world and people are telling them, you will die in your sins. You need salvation found in Jesus Christ. There's salvation found in no one else. And, and think of the days that we're living in, guys. These are days that Jesus could come back at any second. There is a lot being set up that could usher in like the day of the Lord. And this is a time where we can be like, man, I remember the, do you guys remember days of ignorance? I remember days of ignorance. It weren't that long ago, if I'm honest with you. But, you know, days where it was like, oh, just kind of head in the sky, eyes in the, you know, head in the clouds, eyes in the sky, just like not really paying attention to what's going on. And now it's like the Lord is like wanting to sober us up, slap us in the face a little bit and get us to realize, hey, I'm real. My message is real. These times are real. I'm coming back soon. Those that don't believe in me will perish. You might have been doing that stuff in ignorance. Those times of ignorance, God overlooked. There was grace for those times. But now he's commanding men everywhere to repent, okay? This is deep theology. This is deep stuff. It doesn't mean that God winked at sin. And it doesn't mean that people won't be punished for sin. But it means that now there's this different dispensation where the gospel is going out into the world. And people are being, they're hearing the way of salvation. And they're having to make witting decisions on Am I going to reject the gospel of Jesus or am I going to receive it? And so it's a good question for us today. Do I receive the gospel or am I rejecting it? Um, and God will judge the world. It said there, Alan just read it. And he proved that he's going to do this, his plan by rising Jesus from the dead. Uh, Stott said, um, neither their ignorance nor God's predictions exonerated them. You know, God had predicted that people, his own people would kill him, but that doesn't exonerate them, nor does their ignorance exonerate them. However, they must repent. That means change their mind about who Jesus is. You've got to repent um, and turn to God. And if you do, three successive blessings will take place. We're going to get to those in just a second. But let's move on in our text today, Acts 3.18. 
But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so Peter is nailing it in this sermon, okay? He is doing what we call Christ-centered preaching. You can turn on a lot of sermons nowadays. I mean, it used to be just like, oh, if you subscribe to those channels on the satellite. I remember my grandpa had it back on the ranch. You got a satellite dish that could communicate with the moon, right? And, uh, you know, and, and you could get those crazy, wacky channels with the preachers on it. And most of the time there was no Bible involved as they were preaching. Um, and uh, now it's different. You just get on the Internet and you can find any preacher that wants to tell you anything that you want to hear. And most of the time, many times, there's not a Bible involved. They're not preaching from the truth of the word. And uh, they might pick a topic, usually has to do with health or wealth. And they tell you that God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Now go on ahead and send me some money and I'll keep telling you how healthy and wealthy that God wants you to be. This is just real stuff that's going out there. It's really harsh, okay? Um, But Christ-centered preaching doesn't make me the hero of the text or even me just the recipient of all the good stuff in the text. It shows what Peter was telling here, that all of the prophets from the very beginning who prophesied in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way up through Malachi in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, it all is focused on the one big story that Jesus is the hero. And yes, he has great things planned for those that turn to him. But really at the ultimate thing, is that Jesus is going to glorify himself by being this hero and the savior of the world. And all of the prophets speak to that he's going to come as the champion and the hero of heaven, and he's going to rescue us. And that's wonderful, right? I mean, nothing wrong there. Be excited about that. But many churches, it ends with, oh, so Jesus loves me. Now I can just kind of get fat and sassy with um, all the love that Jesus has for me when it doesn't end here. Once we know Jesus loves us and has forgiven us of our sins, then that causes us to go out and love people and tell them about Jesus's great love. Um, It's not about me just getting healthy and wealthy and wise. It's about any grace that God bestows on me. Now I go and I take it and I distribute it to the world so they know the grace of God. And because I'm faithful as a steward of that, he keeps giving and I keep giving out. He keeps giving and I keep giving out. So we are distribution centers and not warehouses, okay? Uh, It's kind of a separate subject, except just to make it known, Peter was really good at Christ-centered preaching, okay? He knew that the prophets were all looking to Jesus, looking to the Messiah to come. And so he mentions that here. And uh, all the prophets foretold this, it said in verse 18, and that Jesus would suffer, he's fulfilled this, and so it's time to quit acting in ignorance. You know, everyone do your best ignorant face, like, I had no idea, you know? Okay, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> like, whoa, this is your, um, what's the opposite of ignorant? Like, informed, you know? Like, whoa, <laughs> you know? Now you got to do your, for me? Whoa, you know? And now you got to do something with this information that's been given to you. And what do you do? Verse 19 says, repent, okay? Repent speaks of a change of mind about who you originally thought that God was or what God might have required or how you get to heaven or who goes to hell or if there is a hell or whatever, right? Uh, You change your mind and say, you're right. God, you're right. And what it speaks of, the word repent, speaks of a 180 degree turn. And so we're going this way and our ignorance just kind of, You know, then we hear the message of the gospel and we're like, oh yeah, man, I was going the wrong way the whole time. Okay. Careful not to do it 360 because that just gets you back where you were before. I don't know much about math or circumferences, but um, you got to be careful. Okay. One way. No, repent. And as you're repented, you are converted. It speaks of a changing that happens. Another word would be transformed transformation in the new testament words like metamorphosized (laughs) metamorphosis right the butterfly that was this caterpillar is transformed into this butterfly completely different creature with incredible different 
abilities and beauty. And that's what the gospel does to us. It converts us. It transforms us. It changes us. We were once dead, but now we are life. We once walked in darkness, but now we walk in light. We have a renewed mind. And um, I remember when I was in uh, high school, I was a bit of a Jesus freak. And uh, me and my buddies would just go around telling everyone about Jesus. And we're in the lunch line at the cafeteria. We would pack our Bibles everywhere. That was really cool. <laughs> you know? And uh, there were the stoners. Okay, you all know who they were, right? Um, or they were the skate. Not that stoners and skaters are synonymous, but in this case, they were. And they would wear black and kind of grunge and like, you know, eye makeup, I think. But they were girls, so that's cool. Um, and uh, as they were in line, we're like telling this kid about Jesus. And he just turns around and he goes, you just want to convert us. And he spits in my face. And I'm like. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an offense, right? Like, you just want to change us. And it's like. You can totally stay a skater and put all the eye makeup on that you want. But I want Jesus to change your heart and renew your mind and give you hope and transform you from a dark heart and a dark mind to, to light, to know him, to be loved and to be able to love people. Because I can tell that you're in darkness and you can still wear a Johnny Cash shirt. I don't care. Man in black, pretty cool guy, right? But... Man, he wants you to be light on the inside. And so it's a good thing and it's an okay thing to desire to convert people. We don't want to change your culture. We don't want to change, you know, your hairstyle. None of that matters, you know. Be who God's made you to be, but as you're transformed, now it's in light and it's for his glory and for his kingdom. Unless you're wearing like a kilt or something. But that, you know, I mean, you're really bad. <laughs> okay, um... So if you were to repent, change your direction and be converted, it would be so that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, so that your sins may be blotted out or washed away, or the literal translation is obliterated. I like that. Like the Greek is that your sins would be obliterated. Now you guys that are into shooting guns, you know, I just picture like a watermelon or something, you know, that you're shooting with a high caliber gun or tannerite or something like that. Like here, it's this block and it's this box or it's this melon and it's there and it's so nice and it's packaged and then kablammy, you know, and it's just <clears throat> nothing but powder gone, nothing left, right? That's our sins with the gospel hitting them, like obliterated. As we come to Jesus, there's nothing left to accuse us of. Our sins are blotted out. Um, even the sin of doing death to the author of life. Now, isn't that awesome, the love of Jesus? Uh, I was talking to someone this week, inviting them to church. And they said, if I went in that church, it would explode. <laughs> and I said, well, then don't ever come. You hear me? We got people and kids in there. No. <laughs> I said, <laughs> it was received well. Uh, <laughs> no, I said, uh, I'm telling you, if the roof didn't cave in when I walked in, then you're good. Okay? Because I have just as much sin as anybody, but it's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. All right? Um, and how encouraging that if doing death to Jesus could be forgiven then so could whatever it is that Crook County residents have ever done. Pretty sure God's grace extends that far, right? Um, I like what William Barclay says about this picture of sins being blotted out. He said, ancient writing was upon papyrus and the ink used, used had no acid in it. It therefore did not bite into the papyrus like modern ink does. It simply lay upon the top of it. And so to erase the writing, a man might take a wet sponge and simply wipe it away. Just so when God forgives our sin, he wipes the slate clean. And so isn't that a great picture of our sins? The psalmist says, if God were to keep track of our sins, who could stand? 
I mean, I always pictured like when I lived in the valley, like my sin list would be like a scroll that unrolls and rolls all the way down I-5 and just never stops, you know? Um, and, and probably everybody feels that way. If God were to keep track of the number of sins we have, who could stand? And then it says, but there is forgiveness with you where our sins are blotted and deleted away. And so when our sins are blotted out, obliterated, it says times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You'll be able to breathe again. You'll feel that load off your back. The book of Hebrews talks about it as we have our mind washed with pure water and our conscience sprinkled from an evil conscience. So just like, have you ever had a clean conscience after owning up to something or confessing something and you're just like, I can breathe again, you know? Uh, That's what it's speaking of. Times of refreshing. This word means rest and relief. I'm 39 years old and I'm getting to be where every night before bed, I have to take a Tums, you know, I have to take a Roll-Aid. It's like, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Okay, honey, can you bring me a Tums? You know, and I got to crunch it, you know, crunch it down and instant relief. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Then I have to have like three more before I actually fall asleep. But other than that, it's like, you know. It speaks of instant relief, all right? Times of refreshing, instant relief to our soul. It's the positive counterpart to forgiveness. For God does not just wipe away our sins without adding refreshment to our spirits. Um, look at Revelation 22, 1 and 2. Todd Teske, you want to read this one? By the way, I'm just going to kind of go around the horn, and if you don't want to read, just kind of be like, I'm good. I'll be like. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So that's something that we get to look forward to in the kingdom when we're with the Lord. And it's actually, this has happened on earth when God <laughs> renews the earth again in the future. You might not have known that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And there will be these trees that are by the river of life and their leaves are just, they're healing, they're refreshing leaves. Um, times of refreshing uh, that come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, and so what else comes? Times of refreshing and then Acts 3.20 he will send or and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. So something else that happens as the world turns to him is Jesus will come back again. The second coming. And so that's something we're still waiting for. We are still going out telling people their need of Jesus. People are still turning to Jesus. And as long as people are still turning to Jesus, there's still hope for the world. Um, but there will come the day when that last person comes to the Lord it's called the fullness of the Gentiles or the fullness of the non-Jews coming in. And that'll be the time that Jesus comes back. Jesus will be sent. Uh, and it speaks of this final era of salvation. Moving on, Acts 3.21. Uh, remember, we're talking about Jesus. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So it had only been a number of weeks um, since Jesus had uh, ascended into heaven. And so, yes, he said he would come back, but, you know, it only been a couple weeks. So there was still work to be done before Jesus was going to come back again. And so Peter here just says, he's only been gone a couple weeks. Heaven must receive Jesus until that time where he's going to come back. And so it's been 2000 years. Peter tells us that like God's not slack concerning his promise to come back, but he's merciful and he's long suffering. He doesn't want a single person to go to hell. He, so he's long suffering and he's like, oh, but there's more people out there that need salvation so they don't perish. And so take the gospel to Europe, you know? So the gospel went to Europe and and, oh, but there's more people that need the gospel and they're over across that big lake, you know? So they hop across the lake, you know, and then land over here and the Native Americans are evangelized. Believe it or not, it's a real part of 
our history of the United States. We're missionaries going and telling this great story of the gospel. Uh, my own family has a history as Omaha Indians about hearing the gospel and even the chief, who's a relative of mine, telling his people that they needed to uh, receive Jesus as Savior. And his daughters became Christians. And, and, and so the Omaha nation got to hear the gospel, you know, and so on and so forth, all the way to over here. And guess what? The story told, why, why haven't you come back, Jesus? Because there's still half the world's population. Did you guys know this? It's a study of missionaries, uh, a missiology, the study of missionaries, that half the world's population is unreached with the gospel of Jesus. Um, right here, people are hearing about it because, hey, I hop in my Yukon XL. It's got AC heated seats. It's really no big deal to just head on over here and tell you guys about Jesus, right? But there are trails and jungles and rivers and deserts and people with AK-47s that don't want anybody to hear about it. And it's really hard to get the gospel into those types of areas. And so there's giant populations who've never even heard about Jesus, heard about the cross, heard about how to be saved, how to be forgiven of their sins. And so there's still work to be done. And we get to have a part of it. Even what we did right here, just praying for this nation on the wall, the humlas, right? We're praying for these humla people because they are part of those unreached who've never heard about Jesus. We're praying that the gospel will make it up those Himalaya mountains and tell those folks about Jesus. <clears throat> um, and once all those people have heard, and I believe Jesus could come back at any moment, um, but it seems like right now there's still work to be done and then he'll, he'll be back. Um, this is what Peter's talking about here. Moving right along, Acts 3, 22 through 23. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesies that as great of a prophet he was and the people loved Moses. He was like the prophet. He wrote the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was written by Moses. And he says, guys, there's going to be a guy that comes after me. He's going to be even a better prophet than me, and you need to hear him. And when you read the Gospel of John, which we're going through on Sunday mornings in Prineville, um, the people were watching Jesus and what he could do, and he's multiplying loaves and fish, and they're all like, is he the prophet that they were speaking of? And, and he is. He is that prophet. But if you don't listen to him, there will be judgment. You'll be utterly destroyed from among the people. Verse 24. Don't worry, guys. There's only 26 verses that we're going through here left. No, I'm just kidding. Only two. <laughs> uh, verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel... And those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. So Christ-centered preaching, um, it means that you know that the whole of the Bible is about Jesus. Every hero that's mentioned in the scripture, or every hope of a redeemer or a savior, it all is pointing to Jesus, or it's a type of Jesus who was going to come. And uh, Jesus had opened the disciples' eyes back in Luke 24 to be able to see that Everything's about Jesus in the Bible. And now Peter is preaching about that right now. Um, and it's just a good word for us today that the men that God uses are men that have a handle on God's word. And so I want to encourage you guys to start reading the Bible. Okay. God wants to use you. Spend time in the Bible. I don't know if you've met this guy, Joe Papinaw over here, but anybody that would have, don't look at me like that. Or is that your normal face? Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met any of his old childhood friends, but the fact that Joe is a Christian and a pastor blows them away, okay? Here's a guy that probably never read a book in his life, okay? <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm being fair here. Um, and yet God has given him a hunger and an appetite for the Bible, and so he just begins to read. And this is me as well. Like, I could pick five other things that I'd rather do than read, okay? Um, and Or 20. And, but as a kid, like I'd be swathing a field or I'd be driving a tractor and I'd get my tape player and I'd put teaching tapes in there and I'd just listen to Bible studies and I'd listen to tapes while I had nothing but time to kill and listen to worship music. I'd listen to the Bible on tape. And I just want to encourage you guys and gals, like you're driving to Poline or in Prineville all the time. You're driving these long drives. You're on a cattle drive. You're on, on a tractor or whatever. 
Start listening to the Bible. Start getting a handle of God's word. God wants to use you like he used what we call old foot in the mouth Peter here. Um, God uses him right here and he knows the Bible and he's saying it all points to Jesus. Okay. Um, Stott says, it is impressive that Peter regards the many and varied strands of Old Testament prophecy as a united testimony applying to these days because they're fulfilled in Christ and his people. You know, the Bible is not just a thousand different stories that don't like, I know because I've been there where you're like, oh my gosh, it's just so many stories. What did they, any of them have to do with, but they're all one tapestry to, that's woven together that points to the story of Jesus being our salvation. Um, Acts 3.26. I'm really blown by all my references. I wanted everyone to read today, but it's only going to be a couple. Uh, Acts 3.26. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So here's his sermon. He's preaching to the Jews that killed Jesus. They delivered him up to Pilate and it traded him for a murderer. And it is a really gracious thing right now that God is communicating with them. That's a gracious thing, isn't it? Not only that he's communicating with them, but he let them see this miracle of a guy that's been lame, laying at the beautiful gate, his ankle bones receive strength. He's doing all kinds of walkings and leapings and praising God. And the people come around and, and they know, it says there, it's a notable miracle. They all knew that this was a miracle. And so Peter uses that as a chance to tell them about salvation that's in Jesus. And he says, God's coming to you first, Jews. He's coming to you first so that you can know salvation in Jesus and that he rose from the dead. He wants to bless you. He wants to turn you away from your sin. It's that same basic word for repentance, turning away from your sins so that times of refreshing may come. And people are going to get saved. What's that? Are they singing the song? Oh, oh yeah. I told Lindsay on the way out. I was like, if you do children's ministry, you got to do walking and leaping and praising God. Um, <clears throat> but one of the sad things is, um, is that by the next chapter that we get into uh, the next time we're together, uh, many of them are not going to receive Jesus. They're going to harden their heart and they're going to put these disciples on trial and they're going to beat them and they're going to command them not to talk about Jesus anymore. And, uh, and God's going to use that. Um, so that to be said, um, Dustin, you want to come back up? And let's just look one last time just at the blessing that comes from receiving Jesus, okay? So it was said, repent, this is back in verse 19, repent and be converted, okay? So we're, you're transformed when that happens. And I, I love telling Joe's testimony. I hope you got in all of my joking, like awesome testimony. And God is using Joe's testimony and so many testimonies here, um, but Joe is just an example of someone who was converted. He, he was converted by the Lord and his sins were blotted out and your sins can be blotted out, wiped away. Times of refreshing come straight from the presence of God. And, uh, and Jesus will come back when people repent. And so let's go ahead and close our uh, eyes and just bow our head and move to prayer and closing in song here. <clears throat> and uh, Lord, we know that um, this was to the Jews of that day, and that's not us. We're not the Jews that were there, and yet there's still a message for us here, um, because while the Jews did deliver you up to be crucified, it was all of our sins that held you there. You had to atone for the sins of the world, and so we are just as guilty as delivering you up to be crucified. And, and so Lord here in Polina, Lord, we, we want to hear this message as well. We know it's for us. Uh, every man and every woman here in this room, uh, can have this hope that's found in Jesus of, uh, Lord, that you will bring us to repentance. And so whatever that looks like for each one of us, Lord, where there is immorality that needs to be repented of, where there is, um, idolatry and putting something before you 
that needs to be repented of, where there is um, just filthiness of thought, filthiness of mind, um, just the language or the just the places we go, things we listen to, um, just maybe having a heart that is just far from you, whatever it is, Lord, um, would you convert us, Lord? Would you convert that man or that woman here? And if that is you, you can just come to Jesus right now where you're at in prayer and just say, Lord, would you convert me as I repent of my sin and I turn the other direction? Would you transform me and give me a new mind? Let me be like the butterfly. I don't want to be like the caterpillar that's just like blind and down on the ground and, um, I want to be all that you made me to be, metamorphosis, Lord. And let me uh, just fly with you, God, today. And uh, even if that's you and you just know that Jesus has that for you today, uh, you can just receive today times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And just say, Lord, bring those times of refreshing to me and to my heart, to my mind. Let me find that no matter what this world offers as pleasure or as life, uh, that I would find that you are exponentially more pleasant and, and more full of livelihood and life. And Lord, we just pray that uh, you would come soon, Lord. So many people that still need to hear you. I pray that you would use this church to go out and tell the unreached people in Crook County in this Polina area, about you, that they would get saved or that they would reject you. They'd make their choices, Lord. And that uh, the people in Nepal and Vietnam and Laos and Iran and um, Cambodia and all of these different places that have never heard of you still, that you would send out the missionaries uh, so that uh, it would just speed up your return. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Go ahead, Dustin.